Y'all give her a big God bless you as she comes up here. Whoa. He says, take my liberty. Be afraid, be very afraid. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, we sang about the river. We sang about the rain. We sang about the fire. Hallelujah. We sang about the glory. I think this is a hungry church. Yeah. Well, you know, all of that has to do with his presence. Amen. That's what we're hungry for. That's what we're desirous of. So, Father, tonight, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your kiss upon this meeting tonight. We thank you for the things we're all going to learn tonight just by being in your presence. Your presence is always pregnant with information, prophetically and understanding, opening our hearts, Lord, to receive the planting of the seed of your word. So I thank you tonight for, uh, for your word, and I thank you for your people. Lord, I ask a blessing upon all that are here tonight. Lord, may your presence fall upon each of us like the rain, like the river, like the fire, like your glory. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, we have a thousand different directions we could go. And, of course, my mind was thinking of all of them while we're sitting here, trying to decide which way we should take off this evening. I'm hoping tomorrow that most of you will be here for our teaching session. We're really looking forward to that. That's what I love to do is to get people in touch with the fact that we are every one of us intercessors, not just some select, elect, flaky few. <laughs> but everybody in the body of Christ is an intercessor. Amen? And what we like to do in the training and the teaching is to not only get ourselves connected with the fact that we are called to intercession, but to help us go deeper into the area of prayer. I so concur with what uh, Pastor said tonight, that if you can get the prayer out of the church, which it seems like uh, the enemy's done pretty well. <laughs> I go to churches where they have no prayer ministries. I try to contact, because we work now with Bay Revival, and we'll be telling you a little bit about what we've been doing recently. If you're going to be here all night, then I could tell you a whole lot, but Hello. <laughs> but one of the things that I've found is trying to find prayer ministries in regions uh, becomes more and more difficult all the time. So I believe that there's a move in both directions in the church. A few years ago, the Lord spoke to me and he said that he's put a plumb line in the church to separate between the holy and the profane. This is in the church. He set a plumb line in the church to separate between the holy and the profane. And I'm seeing the chasm growing wider and wider and wider and wider because there's two churches going down the road together. One of them is the church of his presence. The other one is the church of the purpose of the people. Amen. And so we're not going to get into that tonight except to say that we are truly, I believe, in the last days. If we're not, we're closer to the last days than when Paul wrote about the last days. Amen. So we know that as the days grow darker, they're not going to grow brighter. They're going to grow darker. That's what, that's what it tells me in the Word. Uh, and the church is going to grow brighter. You know, I just uh, love revival, or whatever we want to call it, because it's all about His presence. I don't think there's any other title we would have 
that uh, we would know that people would understand except the word revival. I was just speaking with my pastor, Kilpatrick, a few weeks ago, and he was saying on Father's Day 1995 when the Holy Spirit came into the Brownsville Church in Pensacola, Florida, that as he lay on the floor for those four hours of transformation in his life, he said he knew that something major was happening and he knew that it was more than revival, but he didn't have any other terminology for it, so it was called revival. So we called, it was called the Brownsville Revival. What does that mean? It means that we're coming to life again. You see, revival is not a word for the lost. Revival is a word for the saved. Revival is a word for the church. You see, something has to have lived and died to be revived. The unbeliever is dead in trespasses and sins. They can't be revived. They have to be born again. But I just am here tonight to tell you that I believe the church is on a journey to the greatest move of God that the world has ever seen. And so I am not despaired over what's happening politically. I don't agree with 90% of it or 99% of what's going on politically. But my, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Hallelujah. I, my eye, my eyes upon the prize. My eye is like Abraham upon a city. Yeah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. That we know in our spirit. And so what's going on here is irrelevant. It says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all that is therein. That's, it all belongs to the Lord. And so we can get all scaredy and weirdy about the devil. But I want to tell you, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And we need to understand that we've read the last chapter of the book. We win. So what is there to fret about? Amen. So you're, you know, the income tax, so this and so that trial and this problem. And, you know, I watch the news too. And believe me, I could watch a whole lot less and I'd be a lot happier. <laughs> and I'd probably be just as informed, you know. But uh, what I want to share with us tonight is um, I believe, and, and how many of you ever attended the Brownsville Revival? Oh, quite a few of you. And it was pretty good, huh? Yeah, yeah. But that's in the past. Amen? Amen. It's a wonderful, wonderful move of God. But I believe that the Brownsville Revival, and I'm a tabernacle teacher, I believe that the Brownsville Revival was an outer court revival. Amen? The entire focus with our evangelist was the altar, brazen altar, which was the altar for forgiveness, the altar of the blood, the altar for for repentance and the brass laver, which had to do with the washing of the water of the word. He preached the word. He didn't uh, for salvation, for turning, uh, for cleansing, but he did not preach on healing. He did not preach on the prophetic. He did not preach on the second coming. He preached the outer court pieces of furniture. But there was a young lady every night of the revival. She was 14 when it began in 1995, and she sang a song, Run to the Mercy Seat. And we understood, those of us in intercession, those of us that, that are connected with, uh, with, with the tabernacle teaching especially, we understood that the destination for the church was not the outer court. You couldn't get, you couldn't go anywhere else until you came, came through the outer court. If you're, if you're a tabernacle student, you had to come through the outer court first, the altar, raise an altar, the washing of the water of the word, the labor before you could actually go into the, the, the structure, the tent structure itself. But the young lady sang every night, run to the mercy seat. And the mercy seat is in the Holy of Holies, yes. Behind the veil, beyond the veil, 
Now over the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, amen, the mercy seat, the cherubim are hovering over the mercy seat. And I believe that that is the destination for the church. Now, the Brownsville Revival, as awesome as it was, powerful, tremendous, wonderful, I will forever be grateful to the Lord. I'm humbled every time we think about it and we talk about it. And I watch some of the old videos and things like on YouTube. Do you ever go on YouTube and say, hey, hallelujah, the glory's still there. Amen? And you get just as excited. And I think, and we wept. We were watching the other night and I started to cry because of the glory and the presence and the honor of being able to serve the Lord at the Brownsville Revival was a wonderful thing. But it's a revival that's over with, so to speak. However, we can't go any farther into the other, other parts of what God is calling us to unless we have first been to the altar of forgiveness, to the brass altar, had our sins judged, repentance, turning from our wicked ways, amen, and going on in. I believe the, the revival that I'm involved in right now, which began in uh, 2010, which is, this is the third year, and that's called the Bay Revival, also under the same pastor, John Kilpatrick. In uh, 2010, the Holy Spirit came in a powerful way into our church, which the church that he now pastors in Mobile, Alabama, and is called Church of His Presence. And the whole entire church is about His presence. In fact, Pastor Kilpatrick said something wonderful the other day. It was the first time I'd ever heard him say it. He had put in the, um, I guess it would be the bylaws or whatever, that if something ever happened, that, that this church was about anything else but his presence, that it would have to be closed down. If Pastor Kilpatrick is taken out and the church came under someone else and it was not about his presence but was about church as usual, church politics or whatever, he said it is to be shut down. I thought, glory to God, that's my guy. Because <laughs> he knows it's all about his presence. He knows, we know, it's all about his presence. And so this present revival uh, started in July of uh, 2010. Uh, a young evangelist from Great Britain came and ministered, and he had been uh, used in healing in Africa and, and in uh, uh, India and had been traveling and, and having crusades with many, many, many miracles. And so a pastor had invited him to come. The young man... Coincidentally, uh, the Brownsville Revival was what brought him into, back into the Lord. He was a PK that was backslidden, and uh, his father brought some Brownsville Revival uh, videotapes home with him. And uh, the boy was back, like I say, backslidden, doing drugs, you know, living away from home and the whole business. He saw the videos, and God began to touch him, and then just slam-dunked him and uh, called him, you know, to preach. And so though they had... You know, nobody at Brownsville knew anything about it, but uh, Pastor had heard that this young man was being used in healing, and he felt like that was the dynamic of what God was bringing us into. And uh, so he invited him at a camp meeting, and uh, the Holy Spirit came down. Uh, we had Perry Stone was under the preachers and Dutch Sheets, and I forget who else, but anyway, here was, here was this young evangelist that none of us had ever seen before. He was there for two nights, and on the second night, the Holy Spirit came in such a way there were quite a few people who, who were deaf that received their healing. There were some blind people that received their sight, so, you know, that all gets pretty exciting. And it was the same presence, you see, as what Pastor and all of us had experienced at Brownsville. And so he said to Nathan, he said, 
this feels just like Father's Day, 1995, would you stay? So he's been there for <laughs> three years now, it will be. And it's been wonderful, but the dynamics of this revival is completely different. It's like in the tabernacle, once you go through the door into the first part of the tabernacle, there are three pieces of furniture. There's the t table of showbread, there's the lampstand, and there's the altar of incense or the golden altar. And that's what this revival is about. It's about healing. Amen? About the Holy Spirit. You'll hear lots of speaking in tongues. You'll hear lots of emphasis on the power of the Holy Ghost, on the prophetic and all of these things, on the healing, the table of showbread, and on, on worship and intercession. So that's what this is all about. But this revival, too, will end. Amen? I'm not, I'm not declaring it or anything like that. I just know because we have been 50-some-odd years in the Holy Ghost, and we've seen many moves of God. We've seen many revivals. But I want to tell you, once you have been DNA'd, once you have been DNA'd with his presence, you are never good for anything else. And so we were DNA'd back in 1962, and we have been chasers of God's presence. You see, the Brownsville revival was not our first experience with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in, in the glory and in, the, in, uh, in his presence. That was just one more step along the way. But there is a destiny for the church, a destination for the church, beloved. And that has to do with that presence behind the veil. It's going to be more than revival. I don't even want to think about calling it revival, but it's, it's going to be something more. It's going to be greater than anything we've ever experienced. And I say, get ready, get ready, get ready. It'll be fire, it'll be water, it'll be rain, it'll be river, it'll be it all, all of it. All of it because it'll be that intimate relationship, that knowing him in a depth and a level that none of us have ever known him before. Amen? I know when Jesus said it's finished and the veil was rent from top to bottom, I understand the theologically that the, that the uh, entrance was made, but experientially, let's talk about experientially. Amen? How many of us have actually gotten into that place of intimacy so deep with him that there that we are completely and totally changed. I was thinking tonight as we were singing those songs, we ought to add, add Martin Smith's, uh, Find me in the river, find me there, find me on my knees, with my soul lay bare, even though you've gone and I'm cracked and dry, find me in the river, I'm waiting there. And I thought, Yes, Lord. For those of us that are dry, we've had the river, we've had the experience, but Lord, we're still waiting. We're still waiting. Find us there. Praise you, Jesus. Well, tonight, uh, I want to talk to us about the harps and the bowls. How will that be? Amen? Yeah, you see, when uh, we were brought into the Brownsville Revival and we were invited, I was sharing with Pastor this afternoon, and thank you so much, Pastor, for inviting us, and thank you, Pastor... Is he still back there, Jeff? Now, for using your facility and all of you for coming out. We, I see familiar faces and I see new faces. So we're making, we're making new friends and evidently we're keeping some of the old ones. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But when uh, we were brought, uh, when we were invited to come to Revival and to, because uh, I was brought in from the outside, we were not members of the Brownsville Church. When we were asked to come and to set up a department and to, to train and to teach and to develop a department for intercession, then um, I was inquiring the Lord, how do you want the intercession at Brownsville? I knew all about, you know, mapping and I knew about 
you know, governmental, and I knew, you know, this and that, and the day of prayer, you know, all of these different things. We'd, we'd taught spiritual warfare, you name it. We'd been involved in it through the years. But I knew that God was doing something awesome. And we didn't want to presume to just continue on with the old way that we'd been doing things. I said, Lord, how do you want the intercession? How do you want the prayer? First thing he said to me is, I want you to get out of the second heaven. Now, I understand him, and he understands my language. Second heaven to me has to do with the area of the powers, principalities, rulers of darkness, and high places. Amen? He said that's where the church has been doing most of their, of their prayer, and that's where the church has been getting beat up, maybe having a little victory, but their prayers aren't getting any higher than that. He said, I want you to target my throne room. He says, for when you get into my throne room, he says, then I will dispense and dispatch the warring angels because the battle belongs to me. It does not belong to you. Well, that was good news. When we were having hundreds and hundreds of people saved every night, you can imagine the backlash upon the intercessory prayer people. And so we said, okay, Lord, that sounds like a good deal to me. You're going to do the fighting. All right, I'm going to, uh, yeah, 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 I like that. I like that really well. And then he said, I want you, when you get into my throne room, he said, I will extend my scepter to you and you'll be able to ask what you will, and it'll be done. Well, that was a wonderful promise. So then the question is, how do we get into his throne room? How do we get past that place of the powers and principalities? How do we soar through that area? And through the years of the privilege of having dry seasons, <laughs> you know, when you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost over 50 years, you've had a few, a few challenges, and, and uh, oh, what a pleasure. Uh, and sometimes those dry seasons would last four or five years, you know what I'm saying? So I have learned how to build myself up. Amen? I am not a singer, obviously. I am not a, I am not a musician, but I am a worshiper. And I had learned during those trying, hard, difficult times. I taught myself three chords on the guitar, and I would sit in my bedroom. Now, remember, this was early, early in my, what was that, in the 60s and the 70s, okay? And, um, and uh, I had teenagers, three teenagers all at one time, and they weren't the, the gentle little Christian kids. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> they were the trial and the tribulation type kids. Okay. Yeah, they were the one. Well, I'm not even going to go into it. They're all grown. They're all wonderful now. God's, God's mercy is upon them. They're, they're, they're just great kids now. And grandkids, and I have great-grandchildren. So, you know, it, it all worked out. But when you're going through it, anybody ever had teenagers? Yeah. Heaven help us. I mean, you know. You want, to, you want to skip from, from infancy <laughs> to about 25, you know. I had, I had a girlfriend who, when her, her boys hit teens, she said, comes over one day, just as, just as serious a heart attack. She says, I'm a firm believer in cryonics. I said, what do you mean? She says, we ought to freeze them when they're 12 and thaw them out at 25. I said, good idea. <laughs> good idea. Let's do that. But anyway, I remember during those times, I would lock myself in the room with my guitar and I would sing the psalms, and I would make up songs, and the glory and the presence of God. I, I understood what David must have experienced when he was out there in the field. And I would play to the Lord, and all of a sudden, his glory would begin to come. And I recognized his glory through the years. So I understood that the avenue into God's presence was through worship. Now, I've got, this is the, the spiritual warfare time we're talking about there in, at Brownsville when it first started, 1995. That's the heat 
of the spiritual warfare, you know, the 80s, late 80s and 90s, the Frank Peretti books, they got out there and they, they really stirred everybody up, you know, even though it was a novel, okay? So, but, I mean, everybody got stirred into spiritual warfare and we're going to put on our whole armor and we're going to do this and we're going to do that, you know, and that kind of stuff and kick the devil in the teeth and all. And, and more people were addressing Satan than they were, were God, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Coming into church and the first thing you say, I bind you, Satan. Well, hello, we're in God's house. Let's 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 greet the Lord first. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, has anybody been in one of those churches? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I've done it myself probably. Anyway, this was this was the time of, of the intense spiritual warfare. Now the Lord is telling us to get into his presence. Now, the onus is upon me how to do that. And I had a whole I'm, there's Fonda, one of my one of my leaders, she was at Roundsville. And uh, so we have to figure out, how can we transform this group? Because when I came to Brownsville, I didn't know anybody. I was brought in from the outside. And the first thing that happened is uh, they had a room full of people who were granola, nuts, fruits, and flakes. And I have to sort through all of this to figure out who's the real thing and who isn't. <laughs> Yeah, because I didn't know who was Brownsville. I guess there were people from all different churches and all different groups. And so we've got to try to bring this together. And, uh, and so we learned a lot of things. Excuse me? You kicked off all the guys that liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm going to have to explain that one. Bob has always been known to attract the weirdos. <laughs> Oh, I could tell some stories. I mean, you know, we're from California, and there, so there's plenty of weirdos there. Anyway, and he worked, he was a stuntman in the motion picture industry for 45 years, so that's even stranger people, okay? And so uh, when we would be out, you know, doing something, I'd see some weirdo guy, I'd think, <laughs> you know, I bet you know that guy, don't you, Bob? Hi, Bob, how are you? <laughs> so I knew it, okay. Now, enough of that, Bob. You get me off on, on the subjects. So anyway, where was I? <laughs> you can't move this gray matter too far off the subject, you know, or it, it's liable to stick there. Excuse me? Granola. Nuts, fruits, and flakes. Yeah. Have you ever met that intercessory prayer group? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an epidemic. Okay. So I had to sort through it all and see, and, and see what we had there. Now I've got to transfer this, you know, warring people that knew it all already into worshiping people. So I've got to try to figure out if I'm really on the right, right path. So I want to talk to my pastor about, uh, about intercession. He goes, no, 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 Lila, I really don't understand. I really don't understand what you guys do back there. He says, but I trust you, you know. And so I thought, so am I going the right direction? Well, this is before IHOP, and this is before all this, you know, 24-7 uh, uh, and worship and intercession stuff. And this is back in 1995. So I've got to find someone who's going to validate what the direction that we're going because it seemed like it was right as I'm trying to pull the intercessors into the understanding that if we, if we get into his presence, amen, and we ask what is his will for us to pray, we're going to be talking about this tomorrow, then what we do then is make declaration out of revelation because it's not a matter of praying the issue. It's a matter of declaring the answer because he's already said what his will is. Well, that sure cuts through a whole lot, 
Amen. Because we had a million things we could have prayed about every night. So as we're making that transformation, uh, and I'm doing, I'm stepping out by faith because I don't know anybody who can hold me up. I call Toronto. How are you guys doing up there? How about this worship? They said, well, we don't know. You guys had corporate prayer at Brownsville for a year and a half before revival. We didn't have any corporate prayer, and, and, and God just showed up. I said, well, there went that theory. And they said, we think you're probably way ahead of us. So, well, perhaps we were, but we did, wanted to make sure we were going the right direction. And I had made a vow to the Lord. I said, God, if I ever do anything to cause the dove to fly, you might as well kill me now because this is what I have lived my whole life for, is your presence. Amen. So finally, I, I came across, I met Ruth Ward Heflin, and uh, I read her book, Glory, and it was substantiated. I met Edwin Miller, who was from the great revival in Argentina where there were so many million people saved. And he said, Lila, you're on the right track. So that's where we, that's where we headed. Now tonight we're going to talk about harps and bowls, maybe from a little different perspective than what you have read before or have understood before, but, you know, everybody comes from a different direction. Amen. But I believe that it's very important in this time because I see that this is a worshiping church, and I see that the glory comes and the musicians and the singers are worshiping you, not just for entertainment. And so we thank you, Lord, for that. <clears throat> Precluding the opening of the seals in Revelation 5, verse 1 through 14. We're going to read, and I'll be reading out of the uh, sort of modern King James Version. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said to me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, he, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and have made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all there in that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. Now I want to concentrate on Revelation 5.8. Now when he had taken the scroll, 
the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So we see there is a correlation between the worship, yes, hallelujah, and the prayers of the saints, precluding the sounds of the trumpet after the sealing of Israel in verse chapter 8. Let me get there. Verse 2 through 5. And I saw the seven angels to stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Verse 3, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand, and the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. There's going to be quite a bit of activity going on here as well as going on in heaven. I believe that there is a lot of activity going on in heaven right now. I believe that there's all this flaky weirdo angel stuff out there because the real thing is about to show up on, on terra firma. Amen. And it's always been the plan of the enemy. It's always worked for him. He brings a smoke screen out. He brings the phony baloney stuff and then it causes the Christians to stand back and not be able to receive the truth and the truth will set us free. Amen. And I know that for everything that there is a, that there is a counterfeit, the enemy is, is not creative at all. All he does is steal stuff and pervert it and send it out under his name and sometimes under the name of God. Amen. There is so much, there is so much out there right now. I am standing here tonight behind this sacred desk saying to you, be aware of who you listen to. Be aware of what you receive. Know the word. Know the word. Check everything out by the scriptures. Check everything out by the spirit. We were sharing today at dinner. You know, it is not, we are not called to be, um, to be judges of the gifts. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. The gifts can be operated through all kinds of, of people who are living in all kinds of ways. Amen? Amen? We are fruit inspectors. By their fruit, you shall know them. We're allowed to judge fruit. Amen? We are fruit inspectors. We are not gift inspectors. Gift inspection is what will cause you to be led off the path. Amen? There's all kinds of dark things that are going on in the church. There, there's the emerging church. Ooh, emerging into what? Okay. There's, uh, there's the kingdom now teachings that are going on. A lot, of the, a lot of the things that were circulated in the 60s are being recirculated again. And people are, are grabbing onto them just like they did in the 60s. You know, there's the ultimate reconciliation of all things. I don't know what is, title it's under right now, but it's some kind of a, another thing. You know, there's... there's well, anyway, I don't want to get off on that. That's another whole subject. I'm just saying that this is the time to understand that even the elect can be deceived if it were possible. It will be possible if you do not stay grounded and founded in the blood of Jesus, in the cross, in him crucified, in the death, burial, resurrection, and coming of Jesus Christ, amen, all of the, 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 the foundation, we have to stay in the foundation and weigh everything by the word and judge by the spirit. I'll tell you something, something can look really good, it can sound good, but you get that greasy feeling, 
<laughs> That's, I, I'm quoting Ray Hughes. I love that guy. He says, yeah, he's very country. He said, yeah, you know, he said, I heard that and I thought, I just got a greasy feeling. And I thought, I know that. I've, I've experienced that before. <laughs> you have to be country dicks to enjoy that. So let's talk about the, the, the law of first mention. For those of you that are Bible students, you know that the first time a subject is introduced, they call it the, the first mention, the rule of first mention, I guess you would call it. The first time that word is mentioned in the Bible will be very significant to the revelation of it all the way through to the book of Revelation, right? The first time the word is mentioned, you be sure to study out the very first time a word is mentioned because there will be a revelation in that, in the first time it's mentioned, that will follow through all the way through the scriptures. All right, let's look at Genesis 4, verse 19 through 23. Interestingly enough, the first time the word harp is mentioned, it has to do with a very ungodly man. Now, if we are interpreting the scriptures correctly in Ezekiel, it uh, would seem that Lucifer was the worship leader in heaven, that he was a one-man band, that all the harps and pipes were in him, and so when he fell, he also knew the power of music. He knew the power of worship. And what does Satan want? He wants to be worshipped. That's his, that's his goal, is to be worshipped. And nothing makes him more upset than we are worshipping the living God in spirit and in truth. No wonder he always tries to come in and disrupt the worship team. No wonder he always tries to come in among the musicians and among the singers and among those that are lead worship. Uh, if he can't get you in immorality, he'll get you in pride. You see, it was not immorality that caused <laughs> an angel to become a devil in one day. It was pride. Pride was in Lucifer. So it would seem that the first time the harp is mentioned or the musical instrument, it would be in relation to someone who's an ungodly man. Genesis 4 19 through 23. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy times sevenfold. So we, we see here that this is a man that is not a good man. He's of the seed line of Cain. And so we see here that he was the father, his son, Jubal, was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. Now the word Lamech means powerful. He was the first polygamist, the first reference to musical instruments, and recorded poetry. Verse 23 and 24 are actually poet, poem, are actually poetry. God's gift to man has been completely desecrated so that his earliest record is not from paradise, but from the house of Lamech, a man of violence and of lust. There were no musical instruments in Moses' tabernacle. However, the prophets had discovered the power of music. Amen? 1 Samuel 10, verse 5 and 6. 
Samuel had spoken to Saul and told him, After that you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen when you have come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high places with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. So the prophets, by their, their intense, close relationship with the Lord, had discovered the, the, the power, the power of the musical instrument that preceded and, and, and came with them to prophesy. There's all kinds of references. I don't know how many of them I have here. But in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14 through 18, and verse 23, this is when Saul was being, was being tormented by a demonic spirit. And it says, The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a depressing, distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand, when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul t said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well, and bring, me, bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand, then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Now, we see then that just the sound of the harp, played by a man who was a worshiper, was able to release even the king from a tormenting spirit. Amen? That's power. That's the power of God. Now David, we'll be talking about him probably tomorrow in our teaching session because we do teach on uh, raising again in the tabernacle of David, though that will not be our subject tomorrow. It will just be kind of a little part of it. David had learned while he was in his father's field, tending his father's sheep, that there was power in the worship. He said that he'd killed a bear, he'd killed a lion. He's a boy. This is a boy before he killed Goliath. Okay? Remember they, they made fun of him because he was just some little spindly spindly kid. Okay. He came there and he was defying Goliath. Why? Because he had already had success killing the lion and killing the bear. Amen. Even his father didn't know that. His when Samuel came to anoint the new king he, he, his father, Jesse, ran all of the other brothers past him. And Samuel says, no, that's not the one, that's not the one, that's not the one. He said, do you have another one? Because these were all big, strong, military guys. You know, they were, they were warriors, and none of them qualified. He says, do you have, well, yeah, he says, I got, you know, I got the youngest son. He's out there tending the sheep. You know, he just kind of, he hadn't even mentioned him. Samuel said, go get him. And when, when David came in, he anointed him with oil because this was a man after God's own heart because he had learned to worship and with that worship he had learned warfare 
the most powerful intercession is worship and warfare. I have seen things happen, incredible things, as a result of worship and intercession. Amen? Worship and warfare. Okay? Guess you may know where we're going to go sometime. I found, and this is one of the wonderful things about, um, about Nathan, our evangelist that's with us right now. He hasn't got a jealous bone in his body. And so we go out ahead of um, the Bay Revival when they're scheduled. To, and we've been here to Phoenix. and uh, Phoenix. We've been here to Dallas. We've been to Phoenix, too, uh, several times. <laughs> wow. But I go out a day ahead of time. I've already usually tried to locate prayer ministries before we get to that region. I meet with the prayer people the day before. We give them training on, uh, on intercession uh, for special needs, how to, how to pray for the special needs people and so on. And uh, we, we spend a couple of hours with them. So we instruct them to soak the people all the time during the service, especially during the worship. And that's when we're seeing the greatest amount of healing is during the worship. The little inner, the Sweet, he's a, such a sweet guy, uh, Nathan Morris. He doesn't care. He he, he doesn't care uh, how they get healed, just as long as they get healed. They don't have to get wait. In fact, he'll tell me, get them activated, get them up, walking out of those wheelchairs before the service is over. I want you guys to keep checking with them, working with them. And so we've seen tremendous things, and this has been fantastic for the intercessors who have always been behind the scenes, never been able to do anything. Now they can be out there laying hands on the sick and, and using the giftings that God has placed within and seeing them, people healed. And, you know, we had, we, we had so many miracles. I have seen in the last three years more miracles, and we've seen lots of miracles in the 48 years before that, but I've seen more in the last three years than I've seen in the first 48 years of our life in the Holy Ghost. It's time. God is moving powerfully in healing right now. And so one of the things that we have discovered, and he knows that well too, and I instruct the intercessors, lay hands on them, soak the people during the worship, soak the people during the worship, help them to get out of their wheelchairs, you know, just uh, uh, encourage them in every way. Because when the worship comes is when the glory comes down, you see. And here we have it at the end, always, you know, we'll have the altar call and then we'll, you know, pray for the sick at the end. We need to be praying for them when the Spirit of God is moving. Amen. Yeah. We don't have to do it disruptively. Just be soaking them and believing for them. I've seen so many awesome miracles. I was just thinking about one of them that happened at our own, um, at Church of His Presence, one uh, in Mobile, one night. Um, there weren't a whole lot of people there that were, that were um, infirmed. But uh, we had enough intercessors to stay. I always like to have at least one or two on each person praying for them during the service. And this one uh, young lady had come. She and her brother both had cerebral palsy. They were in their early 20s. And they uh, were, were pushed up to the front, and they were both were obviously, you know, not incapacitated. Uh, he was uh, affected mentally as well as physically, but the, the young lady, Priscilla was her name, she was, uh, she was uh, mentally quite sharp, but she didn't have the you know, the faculties of being able to move and walk or anything like that. Well, they were brought by an aunt. And can you imagine if you had, a, you know, two children, both with cerebral palsy, both in wheelchairs, both have been capable of taking care of themselves? Well, the aunt had brought them that night. And one of our intercessors, Barbara Hall, 
I think you, you remember Barbara. She uh, went down and, and, and she was praying for the young lady. And so the little girl wanted up out of the chair at the beginning. You know, and she says, no, I don't think you're ready yet. <laughs> you know, here she is. And she says, let's wait. We, we need to go through the worship. Well, the, the young lady just dropped her head. And I looked at Barbara and I saw the gal just look like she was out. And I thought, wow, I wonder what's going on with her. But Barbara stayed there and just kept soaking her through the whole service, through the whole service, through the whole service. And at the end, the little girl says she was ready to get up out of the chair. So Barbara said, well, okay. Got a couple of ushers, got her up on her feet, and she began to walk. Hallelujah. Her aunt went ballistic because she was, she's got her camera and she's, because <gasps> she had never done anything like that before. And so she, albeit, she was, you know, shaky and all that because people are atrophied. You know, that's what, uh, you know, all those critics out there say, well, why didn't they just get up out of, um, you know, they've been 20 or 25 years sometimes or 10 years or even five years, you know, uh, in a wheelchair where they've been un unable to do anything. And when they first get up, you know, the muscles ha are, are all atrophied. They're all tight. They have to have some, you know, exercise and all that. Well, anyway, it was an awesome, it was an awesome night, and the, the aunt was just beside herself and weeping and crying. Well, they came back on Sunday morning. They brought them in in the wheelchairs again, because, after all, this was only two days before. And so she came in, and uh, Barbara was sitting across uh, on the other side of the, the facility of the, the church. And at the end, the young lady said to her, came up to her, and she said, did you see me? Because she's in her wheelchair. She said to Barbara, she said, did you see me? And she says, what? She says, I walked up to the altar all by myself this morning. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, we serve a wonderful God. Now, is Barbara a faith healer? No. Am I a faith? No. That's not, that's, but we all can lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. Amen? Amen. And so let's not be afraid. When we were here, I remember um, we were we were here at Christ for the Nations, weren't we? Were you there? Were you there the night the little boy? Yeah. Did you see all that happened before Nathan and Pastor prayed for him? All right. The night before, uh, there was a lady, a Church of Christ lady, that came, and she was blind in one eye. And it was wonderful being at Christ for the Nations because you don't have to look for people to 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 pray for someone. I mean, those students are ready to pounce on anything that moves. <laughs> you know, and so we had that wonderful, wonderful atmosphere. Plus, we had lots of catchers, lots of young, strong young men, and Kate's people fell. Well, this uh, lady had come the first night. I think we were there three nights, if I'm not mistaken. Two or three. I think it was three. The first night, the lady came, and she was from Church of Christ. And she was blind in one eye, and she received her her healing that first night. So she was very excited. She came back the next night and she was sitting there and the little boy, Ashton, I think his name was, Ashton and his grandmother were sitting on that the same aisle. So I come walking by and, and the, the lady from the Church of Christ tugs on my on my sleeve and she says, would you pray for this little boy? She said, he, he's, he's blind, he can't see. Just barely had, his eye was white, just barely a little bit at the corner, he could only see this far away, blind. So I said, sure. Well, I laid hands on the little boy, and I began to talk to him. 
and the tears started rolling down his cheeks. I thought, oh, bless God, something's going to happen here. And so I'm encouraging him. Now, you don't, you're not moved by what you see, because <laughs> if you're moved by what you see, your faith is going to go down the dumper, okay? Uh, yeah, we're moved <laughs> by what he says. So we prayed for the little boy, and uh, he was very receptive. And then I put two young girls on him, two students there, and they kept praying. And I always encourage, because I lead, I lead the intercessors in that part of the ministry, and uh, I'm always encourage them to let me know if there's some, any improvement, because they're to check with the people all through the service, any improvement, any improvement. Well, finally, the girls got really excited because they kept telling me, they said, well, he's seeing a little bit more all the time. He's seeing a little bit more. He's seeing a little bit more. And so when I'm satisfied that there's, he's seen a lot more, then I let Nathan know on the platform that uh, there's someone down there that needs to be prayed for. So he came, you know, and he called for, for Ashton, he and Pastor Kilpatrick. Now, those girls had been soaking him all service long, and he was seeing more and more the whole evening. So they bring him up, and of course, for those of you on YouTube that have ever seen it, it's an awesome, awesome thing. Uh, the little boy, you know, first of all, uh, they're praying on him, and Nathan says, uh, what can you see? And I think he says, I can see you. <laughs> and then, uh, then he got farther away, and he asked uh, Pastor Kilpatrick, you know, he says, well, what can you see? You got on a yellow tie, so, you know, he was able to describe things. Now, so obviously he's seen farther away. Well, the little boy was seen very well. So he goes, well, he sits back down with his grandmother. His grandmother calls his mother on the phone. They're talking back and forth. Meanwhile, Bob and I are standing by the, by the platform, and another woman who has a little boy about the same age comes up, and she says, would you pray for my son? And we said, sure. We'll. So we prayed for him. And, you know, I love children because they're so honest. They won't do a, you know, they won't do a courtesy fall, <laughs> and they won't lie to you if you ask them a question. Okay, so I said, uh, are you seeing anybody? No. So we, we did this about four or five times. Do you see any? No. Can't see any better? Wanna? No, no. I said, with the permission of the mother, I said, if I were to bring someone over here to pray for him, would it be okay? She said, okay. So I go to little Ashton, and I said to him, honey, would you come pray for this little boy? He goes, yes, ma'am. So he comes. It was so cute because they're about this. Puts his hand on his head, and he's praying on him. So adorable. Then he turns around, and he goes walking back to his seat. He turns to me, and he says, that's how it's done. <laughs> he said, I get prayed for, and I get healed, and then I pray for somebody else, and they get healed, and then they pray for somebody else, and they get healed. And I said, bless God, this little boy has learned more than some people that have been in the Lord for 25 or 35 or 50 years. He's got it. Amen? Praise the Lord. So it's when the worship comes that you're going to see miracles. It's when the worship comes. Not worshiping for that, but worshiping, and those will just be the results. Hallelujah. I tell you, we are in for some absolutely miraculous times. I'm hoping we're going to have some healings here this weekend, too. Amen? Amen? Yeah, we're going to set the platform for it. First Chronicles 25, 1. Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for the service, some of the sons of Asaph, of Heman and Jeduthun, who should prophesy with harps. 
stringed instruments, and cymbals. Psalm 57, 7 through 11, My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory. Awake lute and awake harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. And I'm reminded then when Jehoshaphat was surrounded by all of the armies, remember that? And there was absolutely no hope. What did he call for? He called for a prophet and a minstrel. Amen? Yeah. And then the word of the Lord came of how the strategy for the enemy. Remember that not one person's life was lost in that incident. It was all the enemy. The enemy turned upon itself. I'm telling you, beloved, there's some strategy here that we the church has not been using. Strategy that we need to move into. Strategy that's going to make all the difference. There's tremendous prophetic words over Dallas, tremendous prophetic words over the United States. I, I wrote down some of the things that I remember that came out of just the time I spent with the intercessors there in, uh, excuse me, in, uh, in Dallas. Well, first of all, you mentioned about Ro Ruth Ward Heflin. She used to tell me, she says, honey, you know, the headquarters for the great revival for the United States is going to be in Dallas. I said, well, good, good. That's good to hear. Well, I'm sitting in Florida, okay? <laughs> uh, the last time we met with the intercessors in Texas, here were some of the things that the Lord said. The Lord is speaking repentance. Surprise, surprise. Uh, someone had a vision of thousands of people behind a fence wanting out. And these people rushed the fence and broke it down. Hallelujah. Another word was demolition and re re renovation. Another was a vision of a tsunami of the spirit that came like a river. Another one said there will be key places in Texas that are being used for entertainment, and these will be places of safety and shelters, a hiding place for the Jews. Yeah, amen, amen, you remember that. Hot spots for the fire of God. A whirlwind with a lot of debris. That was just out of a prayer meeting here in Dallas. Oh, hello. <laughs> Don't want to lose my notes. I might not be able to preach. Okay. We are going to wind this down, okay? The first mention, now that was about the harps. We were just talking about the harps. The first mention of the golden bowls has to do with the table of showbread, the communion table, or the bread of his presence. In Exodus 25, verse 28 through 30, and you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. Now, the table of showbread not only has to do, it's representative of communion, and it's representative of healing in, in, in Christian terms, okay? In New Testament terms, that's what the table of showbread would be. The bread of his face, the bread of his presence, amen? And what does it say? Healing is the children's bread. There we go. The bowls upon the communion table or table of showbread were bowls or vials to hold libations, the wine or the drink offering. Now the golden bowls or vials in heaven hold incense, prayer, and worship. Amen? Isn't that what it says? Yeah. Can we find that again? That scripture? 
about the bowls? Well, somebody else find it. Communion is the body and the blood. Bringing people into the power of his cross for healing is the bread. And salvation is the blood. Let's talk about healing in that light again. I'm glad we had communion tonight. It's very important. Our physical bodies are very important to God. We had a conversation tonight about defacing our bodies. And some of the young people who are cutting themselves and things like that, defacing our bodies, different things that we do to our bodies. But the Lord says that the body is very important. And we know this because he received the whipping and the beating and the torture for our healing before he went to the cross for our salvation. That means that our bodies are very important. Our healing is very important to him. So I know we always hear that we'll get the total healing when we die. Well, yeah, I, I got that, sure. I got that. I know I'm going to be have a new body, and I'm going to be really glad of it because I tell you, <clears throat> gravitation has taken its toll through the years. <laughs> I've already got my body picked out. Anyway, yeah, in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 6 and 7, Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth, earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Solomon is referring to the human body as a container, a golden bowl where the new wine is released from. So do you suppose we are receptors of his presence? Do you suppose that our bowls should be full of prayer? You think? Worship? Intercession? Huh? The only bowl in Revelation that has to do with mercy is in combination with the harps. The other bowls are of wrath, but in wrath, remember mercy. So I want us to understand the golden altar or the altar of incense, which is in the, uh, in the holy place, the first part of the tabernacle, is always for worship and for intercession. Once a day, the priest would come from the outer court, because there was only one entrance into the presence of the Lord. He would come from the outer court. He would get coals from off that altar of repentance. He would bring those coals into the tent, he would come to the little golden altar or the altar of incense. He would put the incense there, or the coal there, and then he would put incense upon it. And the incense, the word for incense is to fumigate. The incense would rise up and fill the entire facility and drive out all of the evil spirits, I say. Amen? That's why when we light the fire of our worship, the incense of our worship, when the fire is lit, the incense of our worship will rise up and fill this place. And I believe that the enemy has fingers in his ears as he flees from this place. Amen? Because the word fumigate, I live in Florida where we have La Cucarachas big enough to carry the house away. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, so I have to, we have to have somebody come in. We have to have somebody spray. We have to have somebody, you know, fumigate. 
every six weeks. Actually, they could do it in the morning and the evening sacrifice, okay? Because <laughs> that's when the priest would come in and fumigate the, uh, the, house, the house of ministry, the house of, of God's presence. We'd come in, the incense would fumigate or fill the entire facility. I believe that if we get it right, church, if we get it right, and we begin to have more worship and intercession times than just uh, prayer over our cities. Uh, and I mean, we, uh, the incense will go over our cities. Amen. The worship will rise and will cover entire regions. If we will concentrate our prayers and our intercession and our worship by worshiping God, get, his, get, get the heavens open. Amen. In that way, get the heavens open, get the heavens open, get the heavens open, where the glory of God will come down in God's appreciation for what's going on. We're not doing it just for that reason. It's just that's how things work. Amen? So if we can get a hold of the understanding of the worship and intercession rising up, clearing the heavens, we will be praying from an offensive place rather than defensive. It's always we're defending, defending, defending the land. The Lord wants us to take the land, not just to defend the land. Amen? And when we take it, I would tell you the glory of God is going to begin to move in a phenomenal way. I am looking for people to be healed in the supermarket. I'm looking for Walmart lineups. Amen? Amen? Yeah, we do something, uh, we do t training on um, prophetic evangelism too where we go out and you, pro you prophesy over people in the marketplace, you know. And uh, if, it's, if it's already seasoned with prayer and with worship, my goodness, there's just no end to what God will do. Because it's not about everything happening in the church. It's about going out on the street and letting the worship and the intercession go out. Amen? That'll be more effective than standing on the, the steps of the, of the Capitol building and declaring that we're going to, you know, be, we're against, and we are against abortion. We are against uh, killing the, the, the unborn. We are against all of those things. We are against uh, same-sex marriage. We are against all of these issues. But I'll tell you what, picketing it is not going to get it. Praying against it is not going to get it. Amen? Praying to him because he's against it. Amen. He's against all the things we're against. I'm for everything he's for, and, and he's for everything I'm for in that respect. Amen. So we're in agreement. So he's going to work it all out. I want to tell you, if God gets a hold of people's hearts, amen, they're not going to want to kill the unborn. If God gets a hold of people's hearts, the truth will be in them. If God gets a hold of people's hearts, they're not going to be doing drugs and alcohol and all of that kind of stuff. I tell you, God is in the business of changing lives and we are called to change our atmosphere the atmosphere around us needs to be changed by our presence we need to be carriers of God's glory we need to be carriers of his presence wherever we go that people will recognize that God's in us that people will recognize that there's something different about you what is it I feel something different about you it's not about me it's about him amen because God is going to get all the glory what he's going to do in this last day, in this move that he's about, nobody is going to get the glory but him. Hallelujah. And for all of those that are standing saying, I'm this and I'm that, and believe me, I run in circles. The egos. <laughs> Hello. There's nothing worse than a Christian's ego. There's nothing worse than a, you know, a prophet's ego and nothing worse than somebody in the, quote, ministry, their ego. The egos are unbelievable, but God is going to move in such marvelous ways, and I believe it's the nameless, faceless people that are going to come out of the, 
the, the caves of Adullam, <laughs> as David's guys, you know, the ones that owe taxes and, you know, had, had all kinds of problems in their life. They're going to be the ones that are going to come out and they're going to, oh, yes, they're going to stage the warfare. And don't you know, they had some pickers and grinners. Yeah, I, I'm believing that. When David was out there with his mighty men, I bet you they could pick and grin like nobody else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he was a musician. He was a musician and they were warriors. I believe they, they had some awesome times out there in the wilderness. And they sure did have some victory, didn't they? Some of them could, what was that one, could kill, kill 35,000 or so, uh, 30, how many was it? He's the guy you liked. <laughs> one of those warriors of David's? Yeah, it was a lot of them, anyway. Hmm, I wonder. So what do you think? You think that'd be something good for Dallas? Think that'd be something good for Dallas? Yeah, I believe it would be. I believe it would be. We're going to have the tunnel. But let's get the musicians back up here. And let's just do some, let's just do some unrehearsed, unplanned, spontaneous, Let's get that drummer. That's the war. Wish we had some, some, well, you got your, you know, your tin fingers. You've got those, but wish we had some sticks or we had some kind of something. We could beat and pound and, hmm. Yeah, we've got our tin stringed instruments, don't we? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Come on, you guys, let's get out here. I just came from Ireland a couple of weeks ago, and they own the dance. Come on. They own the dance. Yeah, yeah. You should see them do the river dance and the, right there in their churches. Come on. Let's just go. Let's 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 go. Oh, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let me all say 
Put your hand. 